Good morning. I've enjoyed the service, the worship, the music, everything is excellent, but it's also anointed. And that's the most important part. Amen. It's a joy to be with Pastor Ed and Jody, what dear friends they are. He has a passion for what I have a passion for. The local church is the hope of the world. It's the hope for America. And if we don't have a strong, spirit-empowered church, we don't have a hope for the future. I want you to remember three words today. Just kind of let them resonate. You'll kind of see them sifting through the remarks I have to give to you today. Number one is the word grace. Everybody say grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. For by faith are you saved. By grace are you saved. By his power are you saved. The scripture says, by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Just think how many people in this room, you wouldn't be here today if it wouldn't be for God's grace. Amen. My wife, Johanna, is here today. Honey, would you stand? I want people to meet you. Johanna's mother was born and raised in Indonesia. She's Chinese. Her ethnic background is Chinese. Johanna's mother is Chinese, but she was not only raised in a Buddhist context, her father, this would be Johanna's grandfather, was heavily involved in the occult. Johanna's father was born in Holland. He's Dutch. His dad was killed in a concentration camp. His mother and sister and he were having a dinner, actually a Sunday lunch, in their home. Now, their home was a houseboat docked in the Rhine River. They were in a little fishing village. They heard planes flying, kind of like a formation of planes, down the Rhine. Johanna's father then was just a teenager. Inquisitive, he went outside, walked down the gangplank onto the, to the dirt. of. Uh, he was then living on a houseboat. He was waving. They were allied planes, but after the loss that he'd already suffered in his life from his father, bombs started dropping. A horrific mistake occurred. It, it was not intended. They were supposed to be there to liberate, but somehow they, there was this false signal sent, and these allied planes bombed an innocent village. And when he got up from the dirt, he tried to fall and protect himself. He looked back and his houseboat was gone. It had taken a direct hit. And when he tried to find his family, he never found his sister's body. And wading into the waters of the Rhine, the only remains of his mother he found was a little piece of scalp floating with some hair attached. And that's all the remains he could find. He found her Bible and he had the Bible in one hand and that piece of scalp in the other, and he walked the streets of that little village, and as incomprehensible as it may seem to you and me today, he was the only survivor. In the midst of that trauma, in the midst of that horrific occurrence with grief, trauma, 
anger, bitterness, fear, overwhelming him. He clenched his fist toward heaven, and he bought into Satan's lie that some of you, maybe all of you have heard today. If you've ever faced a situation that was out of your control, a situation which you didn't have an answer for, if you've had pain and unexplainable loss, this is what Satan says. If God really loved you, why would he let that happen to you? Have you ever heard that lie? If God was really all-powerful, if he was a God who loved, if he had power, why is there cancer? Why is there ISIS? Why is there, and you fill in the blanks. That day, Johanna's father, as a teenage boy, became an agnostic. He said, God, you're no God to me. I'll never bow my knee to you. But aren't you glad that... When you're not looking for God, he's still looking for you. <laughs> My story is not nearly as exotic as Johanna's. She was born in Holland. They came to the United States when she was 10. Her mother's background, I just told you. Her father's background, I just told you. I'm from Sour Lake, Texas. <laughs> A little southeast Texas town. I don't know if a Buddhist has ever been in Sour Lake. <laughs> A lot of Baptists. <laughs> Everybody's Baptist at least once in Sour Lake, and a lot of Bubba's and a lot of barbecue, but that's where I was reared. My dad was an alcoholic, dropped out of high school in the 10th grade. He was drinking a fifth of whiskey a day at age 37. He was dysfunctional. He couldn't hold a job for very long. Everybody giving up on him, but one day he was riding along. Mom sat beside him. Six months before I was born, Jesus encountered his life, and in one split second, he went from sot to saint. He was changed by the power of God. <laughs> Isn't that powerful grace. If it wouldn't be for grace, I wouldn't be here today. Johanna wouldn't be here today. Come on. Think about your life. The second word I want you to remember today is the word improbable. Just say it, improbable. That's kind of a strange word to be saying in church. But just because something is improbable doesn't mean it's necessarily impossible. I mean, you think about it. I don't have time to tell the whole story. Johanna's written a book called Tangled Destinies. There's just a very few copies out in the lobby. I'm sorry for that, but we're kind of on the end of, of our tour, and we don't have very many left. But this book tells the story of how her father, an agnostic, and her mother, a Buddhist, how God brought them together. What an improbable meeting. He went as a, after he'd escaped from two concentration camps as a member of the Royal Dutch Army, met her while he was fighting in Indonesia. They got married. Improbable meeting, improbable marriage, improbable situation. 30 days after their wedding, he was deported back to Holland. She went with him, never saw her parents again. Improbable, all of this stuff. And one day with her life miserable because she was so lonely, she Missed her family. She was living with an angry, bitter man because of all the loss in his life. Their marriage was falling apart. Somebody got her onto a bus and took her with a group to Amsterdam. She thought she was going to a party. She ended up in a Billy Graham meeting. <laughs> improbable. Come on. It makes no sense. But how many are glad that just because it's improbable doesn't mean it's impossible? 
She saw a vision. She'd never heard anybody preach from a Bible. She'd never been in a gospel service. She saw a vision of Jesus that night. And when Billy Graham gave an invitation, she walked down that aisle of Chinese Buddhist. She walked back up that aisle of Chinese believer, changed by the power of Almighty God. Hallelujah. I don't know what's happening in your life today. It may look like that everything around you is crumbling and failing, and you don't have any joy whatsoever, no anticipation of anything good happening. But I can tell you, whatever is improbable doesn't mean it's impossible. <laughs> she got saved. She <laughs> witnessed her husband who was angry at God. Aren't you glad God's not intimidated by a hard heart or by a pagan religion? He's not intimidated what's going on in the world today. Jesus is still Lord. <laughs> Johanna's dad got saved. They immigrated to the United States when she was 10. The whole family is born again, seven children in that family. Johanna's father is in heaven today, but her mother's still alive and just well at 86 years old. In fact, in this book, not only do you hear the story, we've got seven videos embedded with QR codes and a smartphone. You can actually see Johanna's mother telling her testimony of how she had a vision of Jesus. She said, I don't understand QR codes, and I don't understand scanners, and I don't understand. Just talk to your grandchildren. They'll tell you all about it. <laughs> My dad's conversion was miraculous, but that's not the only miracle that ever happened. Not only did he get baptized in the Spirit after this dramatic encounter with Jesus, but within six months, they had appointed him pastor of a church before he had ever preached his first sermon. <laughs> Improbable. <laughs> that makes no sense. But aren't you glad with God all things are possible? <laughs> Some of you are sitting in his room right now, and the devil's told you you can't, you won't, you never will. You're not educated enough. You're not rich enough. You're too rich. You're not poor enough. You're too poor. You're not old enough. You're too old. You don't, I mean, he's got all kinds of excuses. But if God touches your life, whatever he has for you in his future, he can not only help you, he can equip you, he can open the right doors, he can give you favor. Just because it's improbable doesn't mean that it's impossible. Now, my dad was a pastor of a little church. I mean, he had no background. He had no training. He'd never preached a sermon. It's so little, I guess they thought he couldn't mess it up. <laughs> I mean, it was a little church. He didn't have an office. He didn't have a secretary. We didn't have a maintenance person. He, I mean, we didn't even have a lobby in our church. You either in or out of our little church. When I was eight years old, he came to me and he said, Son, you are our new pianist. I said, I'm eight. What is improbable? Are you getting the picture? He said, But we don't have anybody else. He said, Haven't you taken some lessons from the pianist? I said, Yeah. He said, Well, her husband is being transferred and she's leaving and you're it. But I said, I only know one song. He said, don't worry. We'll sing it every week. <laughs> and then he said, just sit there. After you play the song, you know, we'll sing the rest of them a cappella. You know what a cappella means. That's a Latin word that means we don't have a piano player. That's what that means. <laughs> he said, you just pray for God to teach you how to play them. 
He had such faith. Didn't work, but it was good. <laughs> Sometimes we have to put legs to our prayers. Mother said, here's your future. You go take more lessons and practice. <laughs> and she would get me up every morning. And I have to practice before I go to school. Just because it's improbable doesn't mean it's impossible. Amen. Well, that was several years ago, as you can well imagine. And uh, I've been playing the piano ever since. Now, you see, the end of my dad's ministry, and his mom, he and mom stayed in that little town in Sour Lake for 22 years. And even though it was a small town, they impacted a lot of lives. There's just some things that sometimes it seems like that the, uh, the devil can, seems to win some of the battles. So when he contracted Alzheimer's, it's a long journey. See, we just had such experience with miracles in his life. That, that we just thought we'd pray and he'd be healed. I mean, you get paralysis from a broken neck and the doctor said you can't move again and you never will walk again. And Jesus touched him and he just got up. When you start thinking about his, his miraculous beginning and ministry of being an alcoholic and dysfunctionality and being delivered, I know there's steps to sobriety that... 12 steps and all kinds of ways to sobriety. But, but, but he is, was supernatural. One minute he was a sot, and the next minute he was a saint. That's the power of God. And that can happen. So when he got Alzheimer's, we just thought, well, we'll pray and he'll be healed. But he progressively got worse. It's a long journey. Nancy Reagan called it the long goodbye when she stood beside President Reagan's journey that same dementia. I was called to the hospital, and Dad was at the end of his life. They didn't think he would last just a few more hours. And I was walking into the hospital. I'd been out preaching and out of town. I got in, and they wanted me to get there. They thought he might pass. And the doctor was walking out of the hospital as I was walking in, and he said, Reverend, I know you already know this, but he said, your father has no cognitive ability left. His upper brain function is gone. His lower brain function is gone. He, he's, uh, he's really not here. He says, you know, he, 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 and, I, and I knew that. The dementia had robbed him of his ability to be, you know, he couldn't make sentences that meant anything. And his syllables were unintelligible. For, for about three and a half to four months, he had gone dead silent, had not made a sound, not, 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 not one sound. He says, it's not your father I'm concerned about. He said, we'll keep him comfortable till he passes. But he said, it's your mother. He said, I've watched her. She's been the caregiver. And I'd read about it. Alzheimer's is the disease, one article said, that kills two people, the person with it and the person caring for the person with it. And so I understood what he was saying. He said, but I'm worried about her. She's emotionally and physically depleted, and you're going to have to do something. And he walked out. I stood at the foot of my father's bed, 87 pounds, draped on a six-foot frame. His eyes glassed over. He's lying in a fetal position. And I stood there, and I heard 
the same lie or a derivative of it that Johanna's father heard when he was walking in that little fishing village holding his mother's scalp in his hand. Here's how my encounter with the adversary went. How do you preach faith, he said to me. And it wasn't an audible voice, but I heard it. I knew it. I knew it didn't come from me. I knew it didn't come from God. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He said, how can you preach faith when your father's lying here in this condition? How can you tell people that God is a good God? How can you tell them that he loves them and that he'll help them when your dad has sacrificed so much and given so much of his life? And look how he's ending up. That's satanic lie. I didn't really know what to say. I mean, I'm looking at reality. I just quoted scripture, and I'd quote a scripture, and I'd feel better. He'd give me another dose of reality, I'd feel worse. I'd quote another scripture, I'd feel better. And he'd give me another dose of reality, and look at him. I'd feel worse. And finally, I got over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, We have a tabernacle not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. And I just spoke out loud. I said, Devil, you can't win if his eyes close in death. And that tabernacle, he's talking about the body, that old earthly tent, if it withers and drops away, and he closes his eyes in death. He's just going to step from one plane of reality to another plane of reality. And when he wakes up, he's going to be looking into the face of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, saints. I'm telling you, that's what Christianity is all about. You'll never die. Your body will go away, but your soul is going to live forever. I got my faith and my victory, and I walked out in the hall. Mom and my sister and brother-in-law had been standing out there. They heard me inside, and I looked at Mom, and I, she looked at me, and I, I, her, her countenance was a little different. I, she said, son, what have you been doing? I said, I've been praying with Pop. She said, why? It won't do any good. I said, what do you mean it won't do any good? Well, she said, we've been praying for all these years. Our journey was about eight years long. Instead of getting better, look at him. His body has outlived his brain. She said, he's not only my husband, he's my pastor. I just want him to talk to me. I can't talk to him. I want him to tell me everything's going to be all right. I've been stripped of that opportunity. She said, now I've been praying lately for him to pass. He doesn't need to be here. We can't talk to him. We can't communicate. There's no dignity in that room. So I pray, God, just let him go on. I release him. Let him be in your presence. And he just lingers. She said, it's a joke, son. That's what it is. When you need God the most, he'll turn his back on you. And she did something I could have never anticipated. She pointed her finger in my face and she shook it and she said, don't you ever pray in my presence again. Now, you don't know Elise Garrison. You may hear those words, they may impact you, but I can tell you they would never impact you as negatively as they did me. She's not a neophyte in the faith. She's not a new believer. She's not a backslidden believer who's forfeited their faith. She was a pastor's wife that stood with my dad day in and day out, sacrificed, never complained about that sacrifice. Pray, and you wanted somebody to pray, you got mama to pray. She prayed, and stuff would happen. To hear those words come out of her lips sounded like blasphemy to me. 
I didn't know what to say. I turned and walked away. I was in the car driving across the freeway system there in Dallas, Texas, and I was crying and I was venting. I don't even know if you call it a prayer. And I said, God, Mom has lost her faith. She's lost her faith. And, and, and if, if you extrapolate just a little bit from Scripture, the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Whatsoever not of faith is sin. The soul that sinneth it shall die. So I'm coming to the conclusion pretty rapidly that she can't even go to heaven in this condition. She's blasphemed God. I thought she lost her faith. Finally, I just blurted out to God. I said, God, you got yourself a big problem. <laughs> See, we thought she lost her faith. She thought she lost her faith. But I've come to share with you the life's message of the Garrison family today. I share it unapologetically around the world because I believe it's so important. Satan has gotten the advantage over so many people because they can't explain something or they can't understand something or they've got this unexplainable loss. They think they have no faith and they've given up and they've walked away. You may look at your health and you may look at your finances and you may look at your relationships and you may think everything around you is dead. But can I tell you that's not what is really happening? What happened to my mother is what may be happening to some of you. You may look around and think that it's time to give up. You've lost your faith. It was not her faith she lost. It was her hope. Her hope. You say, what's the difference? Faith. You're given a measure of faith when you're saved. The Bible says not only are you given a measure of faith, you can grow your faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If you can hear this word preached, if you can understand it and apply it to your heart, the more you do that, the more your faith grows. It's an educational process. Hope, on the other hand, is not educational. It is emotional. If faith is related to miracles, hope is related to morale. So that's the third word I want you to remember today. Grace, improbable, hope. You say, well, <laughs> what is hope? How is it different than faith? That woman with the issue of blood, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, when she touched the hem of his garment, it was faith that got her that miracle. It was hope that put her on that roadside. If faith is the dynamite that explodes in your spirit, being and explodes night to day. Unbelief to believe. If faith is a dynamite, hope is the fuse. Without the fuse, the dynamite is worthless. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. 11 chapter of the book of Hebrews verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is a, by definition, a confident expectation that something good is about to happen. It's a confident, happy anticipation. Hopeful people, they just lift you up. Hopeless people, they see defeat in every victory. They walk in the room and the light's dim by 30%. They just ready to give up. I don't believe that my mother would have ever anticipated that she would say, don't pray in my presence again. People don't want to be that way. It could happen in your home. It could happen to your marriage. It could happen in your business. It can even happen in churches. The Assemblies of God has about 13,000 churches. Do you know that 35% of them are under 50 today in attendance? 
64% of them are under 100. 83% of them are under 200. Two-thirds, 66% of the nearly 13,000 churches are either plateaued or declining. And you know what Satan is saying to those faithful friends that are there today? It's hopeless. You're not going to touch this community. You're not going to grow. You're not going to reach out. You're not going to do anything but just sit there and be defeated. But I've come by to tell you today that God is the one who can restore hope. And even though Satan is saying it's hopeless, get your hopes up today. God has the answer for you. Let me give you just a brief scriptural underpinning. Turn to Romans chapter 4. How do you lose hope? How do you lose hope? In Romans chapter 4, how did my mother get that way? How do these churches get that way? How do families get that way? How did you get that way? The stories about Abram, I'm just going to call him Abraham and Sarah because that's what you're more familiar with. Those of you that have studied Scripture, you know the transition. When he was in his earlier part of his life, well, early for then, not so early for us. He was 75. But that's when he got a promise that he was going to have a promised son. And from that son would come so many descendants that they would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the ocean shore. And he would be called the father of many nations. You read that whole passage from Genesis 12 and ongoing. It's a great story. But when you get to Romans chapter 4, I just want you to look at three verses. Verses 17, 18, and 19. I'm going to read them in reverse order. This is just a little overview. There are 25 years downline from the promise. He's now 100, and Sarah is 90. And Satan is probably saying to him, about like what he says to you when you face situations you can't control, can't understand, or can't explain. He said, you think you're going to be the father of many nations? Look at her. She's 90. You're 100. From a reproductive point of view, it's hopeless. Let's look at it. The first thing that will destroy hope is when you react only to what you see. When you react only to what you see. What do you mean? See, some people think that faith is denying reality. If you act like it's not there, then that's a faithful statement. That's presumptuous and somewhat foolish. You can't deny that you have a broken leg. It's there. <laughs> he, <laughs> thank you, ma'am. You, <laughs> I do need response from time to time. <laughs> you can't deny. Well, well, let's just read it. He didn't deny how old she was. He didn't deny how old he was. Look at verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He had no distrust. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. How did that occur? In the spite of all that reality, how was he fully convinced? Look at verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations so that he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Now, how could he, in the midst of all of this reality, you have things that are happening that are very real. But just because stuff is improbable around you does not mean it's impossible for you to come out of it on the other side. Look at him. Look, 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 look at verse 18. 
in hope, he believed against hope. That he should, that the promise should be filled. How did that happen? Look at verse 17. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hallelujah. So in spite of how old she was, in spite of how old he was, he was still hoping against hope. Why? Because he knew there was a God who was a creator. And if she lacked something, God could create it. If it was broken, God could fix it. If it was sick, God could heal it. And whenever you look around you and the devil tells you it's hopeless, I'm saying you serve the Jehovah Jireh. You run out of your resources, you run into his. He is the El Shaddai, not the El Chipo. Come on, somebody ought to praise God this morning. You are serving a God that can call into existence those things that do not exist. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do y'all shout here in Orlando? (laughs) Amen. I'm excited, Teen Challenge. Aren't you excited? Amen. Don't just look at what you see. Those 12 spies came back and 10 said, look how big the giants are. Caleb and Joshua said, look at all these grapes. Moses said, did you see how big the giants were, Caleb and Joshua? He said, yeah. Don't you see how big these grapes are? (laughs) Some of you have been looking at giants for a long time. It's time you start looking at grapes. (laughs) Another thing that... Cause you, I don't have a lot of time. I could develop this for a long time, but let me just give you one more. Here's one more thing that it cause you to lose hope is your impatience. Impatience. This generation is wired tight. We can't wait 25 years for an answer. We can't wait 25 months, 25 weeks. Some of us can't wait 25 minutes. You say, well, I'm not impatient. When's the last time you stood in front of your microwave oven and tapped your foot because it wasn't working fast enough? Don't tell me. Woo. Oh, I'm not impatient. Some of you guys are so impatient. You get in a car wash, you start looking for a passing lane. (laughs) I'm going to get the rest of you now. You go to the supermarket, and you get in the express line, 20 items only, and you count the items of the guy in front of you, and he's got 23. Your anointing is destroyed for three days. Come on. (laughs) You know what our problem is? We're like microwave Christians, and we got a crockpot God. (laughs) I didn't say crackpot, lady. Don't write the wrong thing down. (laughs) If you're going to tweet it, tweet it right. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? See, we're into flash frying. He's into marinating. He's into simmering. He says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. with. Come on. Go into the city of Jerusalem and tarry. You know what that means? Wait. (laughs) I could unpack that a lot, but I got to hurry. Let's go to Romans chapter uh, 15, and I'll tell you. I've told you how hope is destroyed. I've given you the definition of hope. Let me tell you how hope is developed. 
Look at verse 13. See, when you lose hope, your morale sinks. My mother's hope tank was on empty. Her needle was way over here. You say, but my, <laughs> my tank is not as empty as your mother's. I've never said anything like your mother said. But if you're not on full today, you could use a dose of hope. We're going to top off your tank, <laughs> your hope tank today. Let me tell you how to do it. Now, may the God of hope, verse 13, stop there. Who's the source of hope? God. If God's the source, how many believe hope's going to be all right? So how do you know? How do you have confidence in God? Read his bio. It's called the Old Testament. Just think. Just the children of Israel. Look at that. He is an abundant supplier. If you think he is not an abundant supplier, you don't understand what happened in the wilderness. When they got out there, they didn't have anything to eat. He provided manna. We're talking about a lot of folks. Somebody calculated 1,500 tons of manna a day. That's how much you'd need to keep that group off of starvation. You give them that much manna to eat, you've got to give them water to drink. Take 11 million gallons of water a day. If you give it to them every day, that wasn't for one day or five days or ten days. It was 14,600 days. That's how long 40 years turns out to be. If you calculate in today's economy, about $6 million a day. God gave them 1,500 tons of manna, 11 million gallons of water for 14,600 days. It took $6 million a day, added up 21 million, 900,000 tons of manna, 160 billion gallons of water at 14,600 days. That's how long it is. Come on. If God can do that, do you think you're going to walk into the throne room of heaven with your little teacup and run it dry? I don't think so. Come boldly into the throne. Oh, hallelujah. Get ready today because you're about to get your hopes up. Let me keep reading. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. That's faith so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit has hope developed by the power of the Holy Spirit. How many would like to have been in the doctor's office when Sarah went to the doctor? She goes and sits down. These ladies in there, they all of them are expecting. They're young, glowing, giggling, whatever. They look over and see this old grandma come in and say, Grandma, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> They're giving out Geritol down the hall. We're having babies in here. <laughs> she said, no, I'm in the right room. Well, how are you going to be in the right room when you look how old you are? How are you going to have a baby? By the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Come on. What is hope? It is a confident expectation of something good that's about to happen. It's time that God start opening our eyes and let our hearts be joyful because we're seeing stuff that nobody else can see. Come on. This book is full of people that were improbable, but it wasn't impossible. Moses stuttered. That's not a good gift. If leadership, come on. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. That won't look good on your resume. Jonah ran from God. Peter was a loud mouth and he was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. That'll hinder your ministry. Come on. Elijah was 
burned out, uh, hiding in a cave. And Jeremiah, that great prophet, was depressed and suicidal. Took all of his time in those latter days looking for Dr. Phil, trying to pop a little prose. No, that's not in the Bible. I made that up. Come on, guys. Don't, don't, don't say that. Come on. You understand? Uh, there's a lot of people in the book that God used even though they were improbable. And if God has called you, he qualifies you. And nobody can unqualify you. You know what I found out? God can hit good licks with crooked sticks. <laughs> Four days after she pointed her finger in my face and said, don't ever pray in my presence again. She was angry. She was bitter. She was lonely. She was hopeless. She had no confident expectation of anything that would happen that was good. But she said, son, when I walked into that hospital room, the moment I put my foot inside that threshold, I didn't want to feel God. I didn't want anybody praying for me. I didn't want anybody loving on me. She said, I felt the presence of God. Has hope restored? By the anointing of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. She said, I felt that presence come down over me. And all of a sudden, something began to happen. That hope needle that was on empty began to flutter. And God, the Holy Spirit, spoke to me. She said, it wasn't an audible voice, but it's like you're knowing in your knower. And he said, get ready. Your husband's going to talk to you today. She said, that's impossible. He can't speak. He's brain dead. He hasn't made a sound in three and a half months. But suddenly... The Holy Spirit spoke again and said, get ready. She said, it's wishful thinking. Maybe I'm hallucinating. Maybe the devil's playing a trick on me. But how's hope restored? By the power of the Holy Spirit. She said, I pulled a chair up next to the bed and sat there transfixed. I now was experiencing that confident expectation of something good that's about to happen. And she said, all of a sudden, I'm sitting there. I'm being transformed by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I look at his eyes. They're glassed over. He's in a fetal position. He hadn't changed. And then all of a sudden, his eyes changed. And they turned blue. And he looked straight at me. And he, she said, his mouth began to move. And out of lips that I hadn't heard an intelligible word in a couple of years and hadn't heard a sound in nearly four months he looked at me and in a strong voice he said you know what honey God still answers prayer hallelujah and her hope needle went from empty to full come on she said son nobody could have spoken those words to me and they'd have meant anything I couldn't have listened to you, no leader, no prophet, nobody. The only man that could minister to me was your father, and he was brain dead. But God let him preach one more sermon. Hallelujah. And that last sermon restored her hope. Come on, if God's done it once, he can do it again. Come on, Calvary. It's not hopeless. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. It's not hopeless. I don't know what's going to happen. Pastor says we're going to win this city. Pastor says we're going to fill this building. Pastor says we're going to go forward. We're going to touch the world. How are we going to do it? It's not hopeless. Come on. It's not, it's not, it's not hopeless. Somebody praise him today. Glorify his name today. Get your eyes upon him. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. Hallelujah. It's time you march forward.
They say, you can't resurrect these churches that are dead and dying. It's easier to give birth to a baby than it is to resurrect a corpse. I said, well, let me tell you, Jesus had pretty good luck with corpses. (laughs) Stand up. You ready? Are you ready? I'm asking you today, if Satan has tried to do a number on you, doubt, depression, discouragement, fear, maybe you've never gotten as low as my mother got, but if your hope tank is not on full, you could use a dose of hope today. And if I'm talking to you, I want you to lift your hand right now. Say, restore hope, Lord. Holy Spirit, come on, put them up right now. Right now. God bless all of you. Look at that. You may put them down. I've spent this whole sermon telling you it's not hopeless. But I can tell you that's not entirely true. I haven't tried to be deceptive. Emotionally, it's not hopeless. But spiritually, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself. If you are not spiritually connected to Jesus today by way of salvation, if you've never repented of your sins, or if you have walked with him and by your own admission, you've raised your hand of either denial or you've walked away and forfeited that relationship, The only way you can restore it is if you go first. So it's hopeless, not because he hadn't made the provision. He died on the cross, and his blood was shed for your redemption. The only key is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The operative word is if. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever, would you pray a prayer with me today?